Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. This morning, we're in Colossians chapter 3. And those of you that are business people are going to love this message because there's 10 action items. I was blown away. I've I've known this passage and taught about it before, but Colossians chapter 3 actually has 10 action items for you to do. Uh, He's taught about the theology in chapters 1 and 2, and now in chapter 3 and part of 4, he gets into bam, bam, bam. These are take-homes for you and I to, to put our faith where the rubber meets the road, and they're so practical. So let me pray for us, and we'll dive in. Lord, we do pray that you would speak to us through your holy word this morning. Continue to change our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are absolutely real. We pray that through your word, you would make our faith real. In Jesus' name, amen. So we start out with the big idea in Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Notice the perfect tense here, which means it's an action that has already happened in the past with continuing result in the present. You have and continue to be raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him uh, in glory. So he says, since then, and that is taking us back to what he just finished saying in chapter 2 of Colossians, and there's some big, big theology halfway through chapter 1 and all of chapter 2, and I want to give that to you in two and a half minutes. He tells us that he's rescued you and I from the kingdom of darkness, and that he's redeemed us and forgiven us. Forgiven by God. Have you ever had anyone that just has ought against you, and you say, I forgive me, I'm sorry, sorry, and they say, well, I don't know. I just don't know if I can forgive you. That was a big, big thing you did, you know. Well, how about God? All the things you've seen you do, you, the should have done, you didn't do, you did do that you shouldn't have done, uh, you know, he sees it all, and he is forgiven you completely. Then he says that Jesus is the full image of God. Remember, you were created in the image of God, but the image is marred. That is Adam. And we all are kind of marred, broken images of God, latent in our lives, but nevertheless uh, broken. But Jesus comes in the full image of God. So if you want to know what Jesus, what God is like, look at what Jesus says and look at what Jesus does. That's God. But then he goes on to blow our minds to say he created all things. Twice in Colossians chapter 2, he makes it clear. One of the highest Christology passages in Scripture, Jesus, Hamashiach, is creator God. You're kidding. Folks, that's what Christmas is all about. 
is called the incarnation. Carne esada. You, <laughs> Jesus stepped and became meat. God, eternal God, the maker. And then he says that we were once enemies of God, but by his blood that he shed, we have been reconciled. We're friends with God again. Then he says that there's no accusation that's against you in heaven. When the gavel comes down in heaven, not guilty. Finally, he says that it applies to all races that believe. And what a great thing to hear on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, that all races, in this case, it was Gentiles versus Jews. Nobody's better, nobody's worse. Everyone is accepted and loved at the foot, feet of Jesus. So having established, having said all of that, he gives us two more facts. One is that you have been raised with Christ and seated with God at his right hand. And the other is that your old self has died. These are theological truths. And Paul repeats this several times in the New Testament with the idea that when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't him just shedding his blood for your sin so you could be forgiven. But when you believe into that, I don't know how else to describe it, but there's some mystical corporate oneness where God says, you also died with Jesus. The spiritual bad part of you died when Christ died on the cross for you. And when Jesus rose again from the dead, you have been raised to a new life. That's the symbol of baptism. Did you know? It's not just church membership. Some of you got a certificate of church membership when you were baptized. It's bigger than that. When someone goes into the water, it's the symbol of identifying our lives with Jesus' death and burial. The old you goes under. You come up, new you, raised in the resurrection of Jesus by faith, theological truth. It's yours. And one day, what you believe will be your visible experience as we see him face to face. So all of that is theology, powerful, amazing. And that's often where we leave things as, as Christians when we study the word. It's this truth out there. I can't grab it, but by faith, it's mine. Now, for the rest of the morning, I'm going to give you some action to do. Paul now moves in the verb, tense, and voice from what he's been talking about. He's been talking in the past tense, this happened, and he's been talking in the passive voice, which means it was done for you. Sorry, no more grammar after this. But it's in the passive voice. Jesus did it all. You weren't there. You had nothing to do with his crucifixion. You weren't there. You had nothing to do with his resurrection. You are not responsible for He did it all for you, and you believe it, right? Your one assignment is to say, I believe. Can you say that right now? I believe. Done. 
That's your one part. Nothing else. God does it all. Now, he pivots to talk about 10 action things that you can do. And these are all in the imperative mood, which means it's a command. Now, if you were in the service and an officer gave you a command, you would not say to the officer, that's a pretty good idea, I'll think about it. You would say, aye, aye, sir. Done. But somehow, when we see commands in, coming from God in the New Testament, and we hear a preacher give this kind of a nice message, you know, I'll think about it. And about half of it sticks with me Monday morning by Wednesday. Whatever. And then we wait for the next, we wait for the next weekend to come around again, to start all over again. But these, my friends, are all in the imperative mood, meaning commanding officer is telling you what you now need to do as Christians, not to earn heaven, already done. That was you passive, already done. But this is how do I live, here it is, how do I thrive as a Christian? How do I live a dynamic life as a Christian? Here it is, 10 things that Paul gives the Colossians, and they're still living and alive today. So, number one, set your course. He says, set your hearts, set your minds. That means set your hearts and set your minds. You got to decide where you're going. You got to set your course. Can you imagine? There's a, probably the longest flight you can get out of San Diego because we're a small airport. Uh, you usually got to go to LA to get these long flights. But you can fly all the way to London on British Air from San Diego. Amazing. Oh, and American. Sorry. Yeah, okay. Great, great, great. Want to give due respect? Anyone from Southwest? Any, you know. <laughs> Okay, so can you imagine, you're on, you're on the airplane, you're waiting, and you know, you're seeing the little door open where you can kind of see the pilot, and some people are going in and out, and, and they're checking things, and the pilot comes on to the speaker, and he says, you know, you guys, just a heads up, I've made this flight from here to London so many times, I could do it blindfold, so we're not going to set the coordinates today. Forget the GPS. We know we're going to fly up over the Great Lakes and over the Hudson Bay and over Greenland and Iceland and come down. We know what we're going to do. So we're just going to go with the flow. <laughs> and if we get a little off course, what's wrong with a little zigzag? Love the flow. Folks, 85% of Christians live that way. Hello? You know, why set your course? It's Monday. It's, I know I got to be on the freeway. I know I got to go to work. I know I got to be there by 8 o'clock. I know. Why set my course? It's because you're not a heathen. It's because you're not a pagan. You're a Christian. And it changes how you live. So the only way we bring Christ to the day, the moment, 
is to set my mind, to set my heart on, on Christ and heavenly things and wake up and say, I love Jesus, and it makes a difference. And now you go into the day. Before your feet hit the ground, set your course. Number two, I'm moving so fast. I'm so proud of me. (laughs) Number two, take off the familiar ugly clothes of your old self. I'm going to be gross with you for a moment, but let me read the passage first. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Let's be clear about that. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, and don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. So most of us change our clothing somewhat regularly, thank God. You know, and some of it's because we spilled something. Some of it's because it just we wore it too many times and it's starting to smell like your skin. I want it to feel gross a little bit for you for a moment. Just so we press the issue that Paul's pressing us here. Why are you still living the way you used to live? Ew. Time to take it off. It doesn't look good on you anymore. Your collars are too fat. Style has changed. That's too skinny. You're too big. You're too small. That's too big. Change your clothes. We do it all the time. It's a part of our lives, fashion, etc. Paul uses a fabulous analogy to say, change your clothes. Get rid of the old things. I was blessed this Christmas to have, uh, I think, six new shirts. Thank God. Uh, (laughs) But you know what I did? I threw away 12 old ones. You know, they've been in there for 18 years, and I never worn them yet. I thought there was a high chance I never will. So Paul uses this. Now, the other analogies he uses is the guillotine. He says, put to death. That's pretty gross. And then another time, he says, uses the offering or sacrificial system. He says, stop offering yourself to these things. Now offer yourself to God. So to go with the clothing metaphor, he says, put it off. Live a different way. And he gives us some categories. The first is sexual. He says sexual immorality, impurity, and lust. I don't know. That's pretty thorough. You know what immorality means? It's anything that's sexual. In this case, it's anything that's uh, sexually immoral. I think the word is porneia, from which we get our word pornography. But he's talking not there about pornography. He's talking about immorality, sexual immorality in all of its form, then he moves on to what you might call pornography, but he says uh, impurity, any form of impurity where we say, "Eh, eh, eh." no, 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 that does not look good on you or anybody. Then, lest you think, I made it through unscathed, 
he mentions the word lust, which is just, I didn't touch, I just let my eyes wander. That does not look good on you. Take it off. Yeah, got real quiet right there. Then he mentions social sins, such as evil desires, greed, and he calls them idolatry. And as I've said many times, we think we don't have idolatry because we're an enlightened people and we don't worship idols and stuff. Paul's real clear and says, anytime you're greedy about something, that is idolatry. Then he mentions what I would call the churchy sins. These are the sins that somehow thrive in the church. And the church says, well, I'm not a drug addict and I'm not sexually immoral. I'm not doing this. But we need to pray for Mabel because, you know, uh, she seems to be, I mean, we just need to pray for her. But did you notice how she, and always when she comes, you know what I mean about that? Yeah, we need, that is sin. And somehow that thrives in church underground. So he says, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. We could spend time going all these, but I think it's pretty clear. It doesn't look good on you. Take it off. Now, it will be hard at first because we fed the dragon for a while. Every time you feed the dragon, any of these sins, the dragon gets bigger, more powerful, begins to say, need input, feed me. And you just begin. So it's going to be tough for the first 12 days. Decide. You're not going to feed the dragon. And then not so tough, but continue to be tough for the next 20 days. But you go 32 days, suddenly the dragon has shrunk. And in this big, booming voice, it's become this little thing, kind of a pestering little thing. And you're taking off the old. And then you put on the new. He says, to put on new clothes, Christ-like clothes, for the new self. And the new self is the true self, the true you. The old self was not the true you. It was ways you learned to behave through culture, through the fall, through the influence of your family, friends. You learned, and it never looked good on you. It wasn't your color. So put on the new self, verse 10, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. The same word that he used to describe Jesus only he said, Jesus coming in the full image of God. You are being transformed, as we did a whole series on that, being transformed into the image of God. There is no, and he reminds us again of this issue of racism. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. We are now all in this new race one in Jesus Christ. Isn't that a beautiful concept? Beautiful. And so he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, this new race of chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. And you get to pick out what you wear. 
Compassion looks great on you. Do you know a Barna study almost 10 years ago asked millennials, uh, I think 18 to 26 at the time, they've all moved up, but uh, they asked them at the time, how do you picture the church? What's the first word, when you hear the word church, what's the first word that comes to your mind? And the word is judgmental. Wouldn't it be great if the first word is compassion? Because that's the one that looks good. You do not look good in judgmental. And by the way, that job is already fulfilled. Position filled. God's doing a great job. You never look good in the color of judgmental. So why not where compassion is... You know, if, if we just stopped judging, you would, and I would have so much time on our hands. Think of it. We get in the car. No judgment in the car. And what do we talk about? <laughs> our society has trained us to be judgmental. We think you're cool if you're judgmental. You learn that in junior high on. The media tells us you're hip if you're judgmental. Anyone who walks in a party and skips in and says, hey, everybody having a good day today? Come on, get in the real world and start complaining with the rest of us. <laughs> Listen, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what's wrong in the world. Quit thinking that that's rocket science. It takes a brilliant person to step over what's wrong and tell me what's right. And that's, yeah, and that's you. And one of the best colors on us is compassion. The second is kindness. Kindness is always appropriate, no matter what the setting is car just cut you off, you almost died, I want to wring their neck, do it with kindness. <laughs> it's always appropriate. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. We have swung so far in the other direction of uh, we, we're, we're celebrating our individuation and how we have yielded to them and them and them and I'm establishing my boundaries and these are my boundaries and you can't cross my boundaries because I am me. <laughs> and I get that. Some of us have been too codependent, too rescue and so forth and we're working through that. But we got to learn also how to be forbearing to one another and respect other people's boundaries. Guess what? They also aren't you. So what do we do? We, we learn patience. We learn that there are almost 8 billion people in the world that are different than you. Hallelujah. God celebrates variety heterogeneity. He doesn't celebrate homogenous. He celebrates the variety. In his choir, he wants bass and tenors and altos and sopranos. In his 
orchestra. He has all the instruments. Can you imagine if every instrument was just an oboe? So when you meet someone that's different, no need to judge, no need to make them like you, but celebrate. It, it will relieve you of all the pressure. You know, we get married and we, we fall in love because they're so different than us. And then we spend the next 25 years trying to make them just like us. And then when they finally become just like us, we divorce them. <laughs> because we can't stand them, and we go looking for someone else. They're just not you. And that's so wonderful, because the rubbing, the friction of someone who's different than you actually makes you a patient, kind person. Let me read to you some wonderful quotes that come out of the great tradition of church itself. One is from the theological... Uh, Germanica from 14th century, picture the time of Martin Luther, nothing burns in hell but self-will. So the self, the me, that's what's burning. How about this one from Thomas Akempis, Imitation of Christ? Be assured of this, that you must live a dying life. How about this one from St. John of the Cross? Again, uh, 14th century, only from Spain, disciple of St. Teresa of Avila. He that knows how to die to all things will have life in all things. So it's putting off and dying to the old self and putting on the new real you. Fourth, let peace be your umpire or referee in your heart. He says, the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it happen. Why? Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. So he's thinking of interpersonal peace, peace with other people. There's three ways to think about peace. One is the way we usually use it, which is tranquility. It's the mother with three screaming kids. I just need a little peace, right? <laughs> That's not what Paul's talking about. And we use it in the Eastern philosophy about being absorbed into the oneness of everything. And that's not what he's talking about. The wonderful thing about our faith and the wonderful thing about our Jewish heritage is Old Testament Torah is very nitty-gritty earthy. It's real life, real time, real people. So shalom is an interpersonal well-being where relationships are right, that you're not living in unfaithfulness to them and they're not living in unfaithfulness to you. You're living in harmony with one another. So what Paul is saying here as a Jew himself is let the shalom of Christ and the word is not rule like a king. The word is a sporting word, can be translated referee or umpire, your heart. Ball, strike, ball, strike. Or what we'll have this afternoon, we're not sure if he caught the ball or didn't catch the ball. We're waiting uh, for them to decide in New York, which is the high holy place of the sportland, 
where the nuns of Zurich have gathered to watch the screens of 18 different TVs that have all filmed this guy. Did he step out of bounds? Stop. Did he drop the ball? Stop. Did he fumble or didn't he fumble? And they will tell us. Well, guess what? God uses this word about your hearts. Sometimes your hearts know something is wrong. The relationship is out of whack. Paul says, listen to your heart. Let it be the referee. Get it right with that person. Life's too, too short. Don't live with this ought against them or they against you. Now, there is a passage in Romans 12 that's, that qualifies this and says, as far as it is possible in your, in your court. If you've done everything you can to get everything right, and they're still saying, I still won't forgive you, I'll never forget, blah, 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 then you've done everything you can do. But there's nothing wrong, and I would speak particularly to guys, because it seems to be hard for us to say, I'm sorry. It's probably the most spiritual thing you'll ever do. And to not give an annotation to it. The annotation goes, I'm sorry, but it was a hard day. Are you going to say, it was an easy day? I'm sorry, but it's what a lot of people do when they're in situations like this, 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 this. Folks, that is not a sorry. That's an excuse. A sorry is, I'm sorry, period. Boom. That's a man who steps up the plate and says, I did it. <laughs> it was me. And I'm sorry. Because if you go beyond that, say, well, you know, you need to know that that guy did this to me, and then that guy did this to me, and then the dog bit the cat, and the cat bit the mouse, and everything else. And you know, it was just the end of the day. And that's it. Every sin has a context. There's always a context. So why go into the context? Just leave it and settle and get peace with your loved ones and your friends and particularly, as he says here in the church. Number five, you still there? We're going to go real fast now. Be thankful. Yeah, be thankful I'm going fast. <laughs> Three times in the New Testament, besides this, this is the fourth, Paul says, be thankful. And it's just so blunt. Be thankful. No qualification for everything. In another case, he says, for this is the will of God for you. If you want to know what, what is the will of God for me, be thankful. So as Jeff shared this morning, this morning uh, Think of 10 things every day. Just like, love that, love that, thank you for that. That's awesome, God. Thank you, thank you. And do you know what? The, the, uh, cognitive science only in the last 20 years has caught up with what the Bible already told us. When you are thankful, it changes your mind. It actually releases neurotransmitters in the synapse, the gap between the nerves, the whoopee feelings. It releases them, and they're like, whoo, I 
I felt good. I'm going to do it again. Thankful for that. And I, woo, that, that felt good. You know, you're actually influencing yourself. And that's, that's just not even a spiritual truth. It's just an anatomical truth. So, but if there is a God who is your heavenly father, who is involved in the affairs of your life, why not? Love it. Thank you, God. Thank you. That's awesome. And life will begin to pop for you. You'll see things that you didn't even see before. Uh, I was driving up last night to preach here, and I, I see this hawk. You know, there was a time we never saw hawks here, and now we see them everywhere, and owls and all these birds of prey that are just majestic. But I saw this hawk sitting on one of our cypress, tall, uh, Italian-looking tree bushes, and he's just sitting there, and he's watching the traffic go by. I said, what an anomaly. That's amazing. Thank you for that hawk, God. That's an amazing... And it brings God into all parts of your life. Number six, soak in God's word. Put the word of God in you. It says in verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach, admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So when we sing, we're singing the word of God amongst us, and we're letting the word of God richly dwell in our midst, but we want the word of God to richly dwell in us individually as well. So how do we do that? Well, different than the New Testament church, we actually have the word of God that I can read it every day. And you can read it just short as a Bible promise, you can read it in a devotional, or you can read it like we do a, a, a section of it once a day. And guess what? It deposits the word of God in you. Because otherwise, you're being influenced 99% of the time by culture. You're soaking in culture, constantly telling you what you need, what shouldn't be, what the news is saying, the advertising, the pop-ups on your screen. All these things are telling you, and we dwell in that. So we have to decide what we're going to dwell in, which is the Word of God. Number seven, honor Jesus in all things. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. There it is again, to God the Father and through him. Listen, this is amazing. You get to do everything in the name of Jesus. And when you do that, you will one day be rewarded for what you did. The reward system in heaven is not something where you're, you, uh, it's, it's, it's completely contrary to our world. It's just simply deciding, you know, I'm going to do this for you, Jesus. I'm going to do the dishes for you. I hate, hate my mom always asked me to do the dishes. Just, that's one way to do the dishes. Or you can say, I'm going to do the dishes for you, Jesus. And you bring him into the moment. I'm going to take out, take out the trash with you. I'm, I'm talking about many, menial things so that we'll realize he enters into every part of your life. I remember my mother. Dad, you're going to like this story. Um, so my brother... Uh, came to faith 
and he had been driving a rickshaw in, in Waikiki for two years, working out his testimony. And uh, he, he, he finally gave his heart and life to Jesus and came home. And we let our pastor, Chuck Smith, know about it. He was going to come over to our house, and we are going to have a, a, a cake, and we are going to celebrate, like the prodigal son, that he was home. But it was spontaneous. And so I heard my mom say, oh, my gosh, we're suddenly having 30 people over. I don't know. I don't have anything. And she says, dear Jesus, you got to help me. What am I going to fix? And I'm listening, because I'm at this point, a theology student. And I'm thinking, can you do that? <laughs> you can't just ask Jesus, help me. I'm about to serve. And then I heard her say, great idea. Thank you. <laughs> and she starts fixing this tamale pie casserole. And, and it was just fantastic. And she just, it's just kind of like grab everything in the, in the refrigerator and dump it in and put it in the oven with some tortillas layering it, you know. And it was fabulous. And I wondered about that for the longest time. Can you do that? Can you bring Jesus into the mundane things of your life? Paul says you can. Whatever you do, do it in Jesus' name. Bring him into the moment. We're almost there, folks. Number eight, honor and respect those you work with and you live with because they are people that you can serve as if you were serving Christ. This will set you free. Some of you have tough employers. And no matter what you do, it's just like, whatever, you should have done more. Stop doing it for them. Do it for Christ. It'll relieve you of the pressure and you'll do better. Uh, there's difficult people in the office. There's difficult people in the neighborhood. And yes, there's difficult people in your own home. So what do you do? Honor and respect them as if they were Christ. So he, he gives us categories, roles, wives, husbands, children, fathers, slaves, and masters. And it's not validating uh, Slavery at all, God forbid. In fact, Paul, if you read Philemon, he's actually pushing uh, the master to release the slave. So, but he's recognizing in the Roman world, over 80% of the workforce were all slaves. Irrespective of race, it was just who you were. And you didn't, you didn't work for an employer, you worked for a master, now, if we were to modernize this contextually, we would say employees work for the employer as if you were working for Christ. But he would also say to you, employers, respect your employees with dignity and honor. You know, we wouldn't even have, uh, you know, conglomerate mark, you know, uh, bartering for more pay, more recognition, more this, if, if it was this respect and honor going on all the time. Well, he says, in the new community of who we are, that's the new way in which we live. Then we come to number nine. 
pray regularly. This is you, hotline to heaven. Can you imagine? We, we believe, we talk to God. You know, if any one of us came in here and says, yeah, I was talking to the Secretary of State of the United States, we'd just stop, say, whoa, 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 whoa back that up. Say what? Well, we're not talking about the Secretary of State of the United States. We're talking about God. Yeah, I was talking to God this morning. Yeah, that'll stop the conversation at a party. So don't say that. It sounds like you're name dropping. But we, <laughs> but we do. And so if we have the hotline to heaven, why wouldn't we pray? I love the words of C.S. Lewis, where he just says, say your prayers. And what that means when we use that old-fashioned language, to say your prayers is realizing that every one of us are watchmen on the wall. We have a responsibility. Prayer changes the world, and so we pray to change our sphere of influence. Some of us have small, some of us have large spheres of influence. Bring the pixie dust of heaven into your sphere of influence. So who do we pray for? You pray for your spouse. If you're married, pray for your friends. Uh, pray for your children if you have children. They're nobody else's, so it's your job. Pray for them. Pray for your grandchildren. Pray for your parents. They're part of your sphere of influence. And you watch the change that gradually begins to happen. It takes a while. It's kind of like growing a garden. The roots begin to settle. The plants begin to grow. And you begin to think. And someone comes along and says, wow, you are a blessed person. Look at this. Prayer. Prayer. And if you said to me, well, why do we have to pray? Um, try that out with your spouse. Why do I have to talk to you? No bueno. Because God is a person, and we co-sign checks. Yeah, God could change the world without you, but it's not fun. He'd rather do it with you. And so we talk to him. It's, it's, it's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. And then finally, he says, season your conversations with grace. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So in every conversation, just a little bit of Jesus. By little bit of Jesus, I don't mean, you know you're going to hell. Just wanted to point that out. Just want to be real, want to be honest. <laughs> I used to think that, you know, people wear bracelets as what would Jesus do if he were here, and, and my bracelet was what would Clint Eastwood say if he were here, you know, make my day. Well, oftentimes, Christians, uh, you know, either we say nothing or we just carry clubs, and we're just waiting for the opportunity and just <laughs> so this brings us right around to the Super Bowl parties 
you know, you, we have these huge opportunities that are, that are the, the, the cooler at work, in the neighborhood, get together, where we don't have to be preachy. Nobody likes preachy people. Oh. <laughs> Nobody do- likes darn right people. You know, where we have to turn everything. You know, speaking of the waves and the ocean, you know, Jesus walked on water. <laughs> it's just not the way we do it. It's just, um, so how do we do it? It's through kindness, through compassion. It's through the character of Jesus that we salt a conversation. Just a little bit of flavor of, you know, maybe they feel bad and you say, you know what? I'm on your team. I, I, I can see how you feel bad. You know, and, and if, it, it would, if you'd like it, I'd love to pray with you. But if not, you know, I'm going to pray at home for you just because we're friends. That's all. Any more than that, that's a little spicy. <laughs> Too much garlic. You know, but just, just a little bit. They know who you are. They're getting the flavor of you. And they'll come back for more. They're getting the flavor of you. So we'll have some people over today for some football games, and there's always guacamole. And I'm the guacamole maker. <laughs> the maker of guaca and mole. <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't take... Uh, avocados are kind of mild in their flavor. You know, if you just eat a, a fresh avocado, there's a distinct flavor, and some people don't like it because they're from the East Coast, but, uh, you know... <laughs> It's just, it's because it's green, you know, it's just, it can, but just a little bit of salt, oh my gosh, a little bit of salt, pop, a little bit of the right kind of salsa, pop, and not too much, but a little bit of garlic, whoa, and, and this thing is happening, and that's you, so there's 10 things, and if you take this and review it, Every day, you are going to contain the dragon. And you're going to see this dynamic Christian life beginning to happen because you have been raised with Christ into this new life. So the pilot, he not only sets his coordinates, but aren't you glad he begins to flip buttons? And I'm just suggesting you flip 10 every day and watch what God does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth, your word that speaks so clear and crisp to our hearts and lives. God, do this in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm inviting the worship team to come back out and we're going to... This is, uh, this is the benevolent offering, and if you're a guest here, just relax, I- enjoy the worship, but it's just our way of saying we want to be compassionate towards those who are, uh, have less than we do and uh, to reach out and help them through a hard time. So God be with you this week. Uh, next week, we're going to study the last in the series of new, and we're going to talk about the spontaneous uh, nowness in our walk with Christ. How do we do this moment by moment?
living in the presence of Jesus? How do we abide in Jesus? And then we'll have a great Super Bowl weekend where I'll be bringing a message of a lot of sports, so it'll be a great time to bring a friend, but it'll, we'll tie it all in uh, to the Lord. But may God be with you this week. May He lift up His face of love and peace and truth and shine it on you. And as you receive that, that's the true you, full of this new clothing. May you have courage to redecide where you're headed, to daily set your course. May you have courage to take off the old clothes, never look good on you, and wear the new clothes. It'll feel a little funny at first. But you don't have to be cynical. You don't have to have that negative thing going. Wear the new clothes. And may God especially put on you the clothing of love that Paul says pulls all the rest of the clothing together. And I pray that for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website northcoastcalvary.org.